Donald Trump has amazed political commentators this week by using the word regret. He said this, sometimes in the heat of debate and speaking on a multitude of issues, you don't choose the right words or you say the wrong thing. I've done that. And believe it or not, I regret it. And I do regret it, particularly where it may have caused personal pain. And what specific regrets? He's not revealed. There's, there's a catalog of past comments that could be referred to. But let's be honest, that's not just true of Donald Trump, is it? And in our more reflective moments, most of us have thought, if only I had not said that. If only I'd not made that decision. If only I'd listened. If only I'd thought that through more. Perhaps you've had the sad experience of seeing people you love making really bad choices. Perhaps you warned them. You shared your concerns, but they just did not listen. They pursued that unwise relationship. They, they were in denial about their addiction. And they cut themselves off from the people who cared for them and who challenged them. And you've had the heartache of, of seeing all the consequences you feared come to fruition in their lives. If only, if only they had listened. Well, please open your Bibles back to Isaiah chapter 48. On page 7, 3, 5 in the church Bibles. Isaiah chapter 48. Because that heartache is one that God understands. Through Isaiah, God is addressing the Jewish exiles who were captured and deported to Babylon around 600 years before Christ came. And there are three statements that God makes about them that I want us to consider this morning as we think about our own lives. Firstly, if only they had been sincere. If only they'd been sincere. Look at verse 1. Listen to this, you descendants of Jacob. You who are called by the name of Israel and come from the line of Judah. You who take oaths in the name of the Lord and invoke the God of Israel, but not in truth or righteousness. You who call yourselves citizens of the holy city and claim to rely on the God of Israel, the Lord Almighty is his name. They were still proud of their heritage. They were from the line of Judah. They were proud to still identify, called by the name of Israel. They, they still had God talk in their speech and their songs and their prayers. They were still claiming to rely on the God of Israel. But the Lord sees through the mask of outward piety and calls them. It's not done in truth or righteousness. They were claiming to be loyal to the Lord. They were taking oaths in his name, but it was not sincere. They were claiming to be relying on the Lord, but they were still stubbornly relying on their idols. Look at verse 4. For I knew how stubborn you were. Your neck muscles were iron. 
Your forehead was bronze. Therefore, I told you these things long ago, before they happened, I announced them to you so that you could not say, my images brought them about. My wooden image and metal God ordained them. Now, I think that there's a challenge to us as a church today, as much as it was to God's ancient church. There's a sense in which we as Christians are living as exiles in Babylon. We're surrounded by a culture and a society that's dominantly secular and increasingly negative towards the Bible and Christian faith. And it presses in on us and it presses in on our children. And the message that we get from our culture is this, the world works just fine without God. Don't thank or acknowledge God. That's not something we like to talk about. For example, the BBC pretty much ignores and glosses over any signs of Christian faith at the Olympics. I don't know whether you've noticed that. There are certain things they will celebrate about athletes, but this is something that they don't tend to talk about. Even at the same time, the athletes are giving praise and glory to God. The Fijian rugby players, after winning the gold medal, they, sat, they stood in the, in the center of the pitch and they sang a hymn of praise to Jesus. Or the um, 100 sprint relay team, the Jamaican team who got gold, they gathered together to pray and thank God as Usain Bolt uh, completed the triple-triple gold. Well, nothing is said. See, the talk of God is just too embarrassing. It's too kind of cringe-inducing and, uh, and doesn't fit the agenda. Instead, we want to just talk about the glory of man, your achievements, your success, your looks, your awards, your personality, your money, your popularity, your beauty, your job, your possessions, your creativity. That's what's important. Don't acknowledge or thank the God who gives all these good gifts to us. And so we're surrounded by these Western idols and this mindset. And so it's worth us reflecting as the Christian church, who do we actually rely on? We can come Sunday by Sunday, we can sing these songs, but in our lives, who is it that we are really living for? On what do we depend when life gets stressful and anxious? What is it that really gets us through the day? What is it that's giving our life meaning and purpose? As Christians, we can claim to rely on the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord Almighty. But is that sincere? Is that in truth? Or are we stubbornly looking to our idols that in all practical matters replace God in our lives? It's a challenge to us as a church, isn't it? Uh, I showed um, one of the MPs around the building this week. She was quick to praise uh, me and us for our achievements. People have done that, don't they? They come in and they say, oh, this is amazing. You, you've done an amazing thing. And the point at the, the, that, that when that is raised is, are we going to sort of take the praise and glory for ourselves and go, well, yes, we did a rather super job, didn't we? Or are, are actually going to redirect them to the gracious God who we've seen so kindly provide for us all the way through this process? People gave, but God stirred our hearts to give. 
God's been at work in this. Are we quick to direct the praise and the glory back to him and say, look, it's just because of how amazing Jesus is that we, we've done this. The MP asked me, well, what services do we provide? I said, well, the main thing is that we tell people how brilliant Jesus is. He's the one who changes people's lives. There's other good things that happen, but that's the main thing. It is the main thing, isn't it? God saw the stubbornness of his people. Neck muscles of iron. Foreheads of bronze. They refused to budge and bend to God. While all the while invoking the name of the Lord. If only they had been sincere. Secondly, if only they had been refined. Right back in chapter 1 of Isaiah, we, we did it about four or five years ago, so, but it's in your Bibles, you can look it up at some stage. Uh, at right, the very first chapter, this is what God says to the sinful nation of Judah and the city of Jerusalem. I will turn my hand against you, I will thoroughly purge away your dross and remove all your impurities. I've never done this, but uh, I'm told that to get pure silver requires great heat to dissolve the metal into a liquid and in that state all the impurities can rise to the top and they can be wiped off the top of the liquid and then the thing is allowed to cool again. You need to do this process over and over and over again for all the impurities to rise to the top and all the dross to be removed and then you can have pure silver and the silversmith in the olden days, the way they knew it was pure is that they could begin to see their faces in the molten liquid. There was very little reflection of the glory of God in the nation of Israel when Isaiah started his ministry. There was so much dross and impurity because of their sins. And chapter 48, verse 8, gives us the taste of the challenge of how obtuse they were. Verse 8, you have neither heard nor understood. From of old your ears have not been opened. Well do I know how treacherous you are. You were called a rebel from birth. And in consequence to all the sinful choices and rebellion against God, they experienced great affliction as a nation. Their lands invaded by armies, their crops taken, their homes damaged, the capital city and the temple destroyed, and mass deportations as they were forced to live in Babylon under the subjugation of its empire. But God says in verse 8, there was actually a redeeming purpose. See, I have refined you, though not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. Well, there's a thought. When we're going through difficult times. Perhaps there's a, there's a bigger purpose and point. A furnace of affliction to test us. To refine us. But actually, there's, there's nothing automatic. Afflictions don't necessarily and always refine people. Some experience trials and it causes them to grow closer to the Lord. Others, it can just cause bitterness. And where this chapter ends, it does not appear as if the furnace of affliction had really been successful in refining them. If only they had been sincere. If only they'd been refined. And thirdly, if only they had paid attention. Look at verse 17. 
This is what the Lord says. Your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord your God who teaches you what is best for you, who directs you in the way you should go. If only you had paid attention to my commands. Your peace would have been like a river, your well-being like the waves of the sea. Your descendants would have been like the sand, your children like its numberless grains. Their name would never be blotted out nor destroyed from before me. What amazing promises. They're actually quite old promises for them because Moses declared these very promises to them on the edge of the promised land. You can read it in Deuteronomy chapter 28, the covenant blessings. Moses lays out covenant blessings and the warnings of covenant curses. The covenant blessings were that if they kept faithful to their redeeming God who had graciously freed them out of slavery, provided for them in the wilderness, brought them to the promised land and and was going to bring them into a a, a wonderful land full of blessing, a, a land flowing with milk and honey, they would enjoy all these blessings if they remained in covenant faithfulness to the Lord, if they listened to his word and did what he said. Deuteronomy 28 says this, you'll be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. The fruit of your womb will be blessed. Your crops and livestock will be blessed. And they'll know peace from their enemies. If you pay attention to the commands of the Lord your God, given to them by Moses. That's what it says in Deuteronomy 28. And then Moses tells them if, up front before they go in, but if you disobey God, if, you, if you're unfaithful to him, and, and instead of blessing, you're going to experience disasters. You're going to feel the effects of a sin-cursed world, eventually leading to being kicked out of the land. It's almost like the final session of an alcoholic rehabilitation center. And after a long course of treatment, the instructor looks at these people who are now sober, cleaned up, and healthy. And he says to them, look, what's before you? You could have a great positive life. You can build a new life for yourself if you will daily choose not to drink alcohol. And then he goes on to warn them that if they ignore all that they have learned and refuse to listen and think they can just relax and just have one little drink, that that, that, that's going to bring chaos and destructive forces that will be unleashed on their lives if they choose to go that way. God, God wanted... Israel to experience all these incredible blessings. They they were genuinely all there for the people. Verse 18, if only you had paid attention to my commands, your peace would have been like a river. You know, a river just keeps flowing. It never ends. It just keeps running past. Your peace would have been like that. Your well-being like waves on the sea. Go down to uh, Portobello. You see the waves just keep crashing in. Your well-being would have been like that. They'd have known the peace of God that brings wholeness to their life. Do you hear the sadness of God here? All that had been lost by their refusal to listen. Their refusal to, to learn to live in obedience to God's teaching, which is always the best way. Now, Scotland, at this time in history, does not want to listen to God. We live in a culture that just delights to rebel against what the Bible teaches as the truth and what the Bible says is the way of righteousness. 
That's what many of the shows are about at the Edinburgh Festival and Fringe. Uh, The more thoughtful ones show you how restless and anxious and lonely and fractured we become in our rebellion. And that there are no real solutions on offer. This world that's in rebellion against God doesn't have the solutions that will lead to genuine peace, to well-being, to wholeness, to, to hope and to life. These are blessings that we only get from God our maker. They're found in him. Do the Scottish churches want to prosper and be places of peace and of growth, of, of church planting? Well, it's not how things are right at the moment. Is it because we're not really paying attention to God's words? All the way through this chapter 48 is the command of God to listen. Verse 1, listen to this, you descendants of Jacob. Verse 12, listen to me, Jacob, Israel whom I've called. Verse 16, come near and listen. God is urging us to listen to him. And what does he want to say to them? Well, verse 20, leave Babylon. Flee from the Babylonians. Announce this with shouts of joy and proclaim it. Send it out to the ends of the earth. Say, the Lord has redeemed his servant Jacob. They did not thirst when he led them through the deserts. He made water flow from them from the rock. He split the rock and the water gushed out. God was still graciously offering to save them to save them from the Babylonian exile. He'd bring like another Exodus type event. That's the language that's being used there in verse 21. He would bring them safely through the wilderness. He'd provide for them so they could get back to the promised land. But would they sincerely trust the Lord and leave their idols behind? You can leave Babylon, but actually have your Babylonian idols on you. Would they be refined by their experience of of affliction and said, be faithful to the Lord? Would they pay attention to God's word and, and desire obedience, knowing all the blessings that flow from that? Well, the final verse of chapter 48 is a sad warning of what's to come. There is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. If only you had listened, you would know peace. There is no peace for the wicked, says the Lord. There was a physical return from exile. They did get back. But what was needed was a far deeper return to the Lord. A spiritual journey that dealt with the stubborn hearts. Roll on 600 years. Keep your finger in Isaiah 48 and turn with me to Luke chapter 19. And you'll find this on page 1054 in the church Bibles. Luke's Gospel chapter 19, page 1054. I was chatting with Peter Granger about Isaiah 48 this week and he put me onto this great cross-reference Jesus has just presented himself as the Messiah King in Jerusalem. Come in, riding on a donkey. And yet their stubborn refusal continued. Look at verse 41. 
As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, Jesus wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another. On an, well, they will not leave one stone on another, because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. If only. They had been sincere. If only they had been refined. If only they had listened. If only they had recognized in Jesus the time of God's coming to them. Well, please turn back to Isaiah 48. In a collapsing culture and with a collapsing church that doesn't want to listen to God, what hope is there? Well, the hope lies not in us, but in God. The God who continues to speak and act for his own glory. The God whose kindness is greater than our stubbornness. Look at the persevering kindness of God displayed in this chapter. He's still speaking to his people, these stubborn rebels. He's still speaking to them. He's still reasoning with them. God kept telling them, he says, that what he was going to do in the future and then acting out in history in actual events because he wanted to reach out to them and, 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 and to ask them to turn from their rebellion and, and call them to turn away from their idols and to trust in him alone despite all their stubbornness. God is working out a plan of salvation for a people who totally don't deserve it. Look at verse 9 of chapter 48. For my own name's sake I delay my wrath. For the sake of my praise I hold it back from you, so as not to destroy you completely. Verse 11, for my own sake, for my own sake I do this. How can I let myself be defamed? I will not yield my glory to another. Do you know what? It is God's commitment to being God that is the basis of our salvation and our hope. There is only one God. And he's a God who delights to save men and women, not on the basis that they deserve it. Quite the contrary. But solely because of his mercy and grace. Do you get this? The utter stubbornness of the human heart and the total kindness of this God who reaches out in mercy and grace. Chapter 48, God speaks of the former things that he told them, and he says, now I'm going to tell you some new things, things you, 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 so you can't say, well, I knew that already. And it seems to me that the new things really relate to more details about the coming of Jesus Christ. Chapter 48 is the end of a, of a section, because 49 to 55 is all about the servant of the Lord, who would achieve this true salvation that would fix sinful, rebellious hearts. They got back to the land, but their hearts were still rebellious. We need, we need someone who can fix our rebellious hearts. And God says, well, this is the new thing I'm going to do. Verse 16, come, 
near to me. It's the voice of the servant. We get a sneak peek preview of the servant that's coming. Come near me and listen to this. From the first announcement, I have not spoken in secret. At that time it happens, I am there. And now the sovereign Lord has sent me endowed with his spirit. That's why it's a big deal at the start of Jesus' ministry in the waters of baptism that the Spirit descends on him like a dove. And then he goes out as a king to defeat the devil who tempts him. God's persevering plan of salvation is focused on this one, the one he sends endowed with his Spirit. And while... This promise for them was future. We've seen it fulfilled in the coming of Jesus. And this is how extraordinary God is. In his mysterious plan, even in their stubborn rejection of Jesus, God had a plan that in that very rejection would come the very means of our salvation. How glorious is this God! His kindness is greater than our stubbornness. Endowed with God's spirit, he suffered and died on the cross in the place of sinners so that we could know forgiveness for our rebellion, that we could know peace with God. Now, I don't know what regrets you might bring into the room today from your past, but the greatest regret would be not to recognize this, that God has come in his son, Jesus Christ. That the only hope for a fractious, lonely, anxious, lost world is Jesus Christ. However rebellious and stubborn you've been, whatever wicked things you may have done, There is a way today to know peace with God. To know the blessings of of God that are all bound up in Jesus Christ. To have Christ is to know all those abundant blessings both now and for the life to come. And so the question is really, will we turn from trusting ourselves? Will we turn away from trusting our idols? And instead, will we Trust Jesus Christ who came to redeem sinners. Over the last two weeks, uh, the repeated image from Rio has been of that statue depicting Jesus. It's called Christ the Redeemer. His arms outstretched over the city. It's been striking, hasn't it? This could be the very day that brings you peace. If you turn to Christ in prayer and say, sorry, thank you, please. Sorry, I'm sorry for my stubbornness and my sin. Thank you for dying in my place upon the cross. Please forgive me and be in charge of my life. You could turn to him today. He takes rebellious people and he pours his love on stubborn hearts and brings us to himself. Will you listen to him? Will you listen to the call of God in the gospel 
and my Christian friends? Why waste our time trusting anything other than Christ and looking to him? There is the way of peace. There is the way of wholeness and well-being and blessing. Don't reject the good news of Jesus Christ. There is a way to know lasting and everlasting life and peace. But chapter 48 ends with a warning to us if we refuse to listen. There is no peace for the wicked. Let us pray.